Okay, welcome to the latest United podcast for what I can probably only describe as a historic day for Manchester United. Um, this Glazers Out protest went from a little bit of noise on Twitter to something very, very serious. And as the title in this podcast suggests, I think, as I just said, an historic day for Manchester United. I think this protest, Larry, I think this goes down in history. Oh, it definitely does, Tom, um, because it's not something that you see every day. Um, and I guess if you wanted to be scandalous or tongue-in-cheek, the title of the podcast should be United Make a Statement on the Pitch, um, except it's not in the ways that we're used to. It's The fans really... We saw a few weeks ago with the protest where we saw some fans have a banner that says, we decide when you play. And the a lot of Twitter commentary at the time was, should it be where you play? Um, but I think... Now, I, I don't know, and I can't assume that it was the same bunch of gentlemen who participated in today's events on the football pitch at Old Trafford, but if it was, there, there's almost a ironic element of poetry to it. Well, there was, a, I think, an organisation and a planning with this one, which, which has been proven, because we've seen protests in the past just sort of been, okay, protests, whether it be banners, flags, songs, whatever, there's just, there's just something there where this, which we'll get into sort of how protests work and everything, but this protest, it had an end game. It had a result which people wanted to achieve, which was to get the biggest game in English football called off. And you can't, you cannot do that by just showing up and seeing what happens. They went in here with a simple plan to get this game called off, and they achieved that. So they're definitely... Do we know for sure that that was the premeditation? Do, do you truthfully believe that was the plan or do you think it was chaos of the mayhem that led to it playing out to the game being called off? Whether it be called off, the message had to be sent and how do you send a message? You don't just send a message by being outside the ground and singing a song. Something has to happen. Okay, That pitch invasion wasn't going to... They could have got all the, all the people off the pitch. An hour later they could have played the game or got the players on there for a warm-up. But it would have delayed the kickoff. Something would have happened. Whether the end game was to delay the game or postpone, I'm not quite sure. But mm. it was to do. It was to be disruptive, and it wasn't just okay. The players show up at three o'clock and kick off at four thirty. That wasn't going to happen. Something had to change. And as I said, that only comes through at a place like Old Trafford. Can only come through proper planning and organisation, which we're going to get into a little bit. But I can only like I did with the um, protesters at Carrington the other day. I can only tip my hat and say well done and fair play to them. I have to be honest, my initial reactions as I was watching the madness unfold before me um, was I did think the pitch invasion was a step too far at the time. Um, However, having the initial reaction taken out of it and having the, I guess, the ability to have or the the thought... What's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, I'm very sleep deprived. Um, having the ability to have the foresight after the fact or the hindsight mm. is the pitch invasion actually, I think, was the right outcome. It's not possibly something I personally would have participated in, but I say credit to those who did it because it truthfully did make a statement. I think we saw what happened at the Emirates with the Arsenal supporters and the way that their protest was so openly received by the broader football audience. And I think in United's fans' case, particularly with the Glazers, they started to get this element of, we don't like you, but there's an acceptance that, you know, they wouldn't sell. And I think the Super League might have just been the tipping point where 
with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, the, it's, it's funny, Tom, because if you want to talk about the build-up to this, right, the, the appointment of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might have been the smartest thing the Glazers have done in their 15-year tenure at Manchester United. They signed someone who the fan base could never turn their back on. Even with all the commentary where you see, you know, some quote-unquote top red saying he's not qualified to be a top manager, no one can argue with the results on the pitch. And I think he has gotten us to a very good position. We're on the verge of qualifying for the Champions League in consecutive seasons since Sir Alex. We're seeing progress on the pitch in terms of transfers. While we haven't seen perhaps the, the movement in the player market we would have liked, things have been moving quite positively. And I think we've seen that in the majority of the United fan base. So... The Super League decision by the Glazers is really suicidal because you finally got the fan base in a situation where while they weren't happy with you, things were settling given the positivity on the pitch. It's amazing to me that they've done this. And we saw the reaction to Joel Glazer's uh, apology. We saw Ed Woodward's apology in the fan forum. This was always going to be rejected. But I have to say what we saw last night no one could have foreseen that. But as a United fan, I'm proud. Well, I'll just go back to your point there where you sort of said the pitch invasion is maybe something you wouldn't have sort of participated in. But you saw in hindsight, you look back at it and you think, well, it was probably the correct decision and worked out quite mm. well. I look at it and whatever protest, whether it be a football protest or a protest in Sydney about racism or police or politics or whatever, it's always, is it a peaceful protest or is it not peaceful? And this one, I look on the vast majority, because the numbers are around 10,000, maybe over 10,000 people present at this protest. And I have to say, from the footage I've seen and the reports that I've read, it was a very peaceful protest. Now, obviously, in any protest like this, the small minority has the potential to ruin it for a lot of people. And we have seen um, a police officer with a cut, but I've also seen footage of three or four police officers pinning a person down and beating the absolute life out of a guy who was unarmed. Mm. So there are two sides to the story. And there is obviously the case of, look, at the end of the day, breaking and entering. There was one guy sort of kicking a door down. I think it was the disabled entrance at Old Trafford. And um, obviously the one of the big ones on camera inside Old Trafford was a, a guy got into one of the TV booths and threw a tripod. And there was so much outrage over throwing that tripod and sort of property damage. And look, I agree. Yes, he shouldn't be doing that. However, he threw a tripod. Okay, he hasn't done anything serious. He threw a tripod. I'm sure Sky Sports can replace that tripod or get someone with a camera camera stand. But just on the regards, peaceful protest or not peaceful, I look at what happened inside Old Trafford and that those images are what have gone around the world. So while the protest and the numbers outside the ground is fantastic, all the attention is what happened inside that ground. And I look at it. And I think it was very peaceful because you think there was thousands of, or hundreds or maybe a thousand people on that pitch at Old Trafford. Could you imagine what they could have done if they wanted to? Like They could have ripped down the goals. They could have got into the stands, ripped up all the seats. They could have got into the director's box. They could have caused absolute mayhem in that stadium. Mm. They didn't. They took a football and they kicked some goals and took some selfies on the pitch. And ultimately, Did you see I the think- kid who imitated a, a half volley? <laughs> Or yeah, a full well, look, volley, rather? Like some people Brilliant. live in the dream. What I would do, you said you wouldn't participate in And look, I'm not a person for sort of physical protests like that. However, I think in that situation, mm. if I don't think I was... Okay, they are breaking an entrance slash breaking the law. In that context and scenario they are in, I probably would have joined them. And if I was on that pitch, if I had a football, it is living the dream. Okay, it's not a professional football match. 
but that guy can go home tomorrow and say, I scored a goal at Old Trafford. And that's a, a memory he takes with him for the rest of his life. And I've just said, this is a day that goes down in Manchester United history. And all those people who sort of sent that message yesterday do go down history and it is something they'll remember. So as I've said, a fair play to them, but just going back to my original point, what did Mm. you see or or how did you feel about the behaviour of the protest and sort of in terms of peaceful slash not peaceful? No, I was happy with it. Um, Look, when you're talking tens of thousands of people, there is going to be a handful of idiots. Like it's just common. It's just common mathematics. It's common ratios in terms of you know good versus bad. If you like, um, for the most part, like you said, Tom, it was quite peaceful. Um, they the stewards were well outnumbered, um, and you have to say criticism goes to the Glazers here. Uh, the lack of organisation and the lack of awareness around what was coming. We knew this protest was coming two weeks ago. They didn't plan for it. The, the, Isn't that quite uh, typical? It's almost like they haven't planned for it, like they don't like plan for a transfer window? Yeah, well, yeah, it does feel like that. And it just speaks to everything that's wrong with the club. But I guess I, I have to put the question back to you. And I guess I want to ask you, do the Glazers take notice of this? Do we, because we're talking about this is a massive day in Manchester United history. I guess I just worry that it won't go down in history if we don't get an outcome out of it. This needs to be the catalyst for change. But will it be the catalyst for change? This is where I say, and I I support every person's right in the world in whatever field to protest. I always support someone's right to protest. However, I never agree with the protest. I always think it's a waste of time and the the message is never going to change. I pretended someone in Sydney out in George Street or Town Hall and they're protesting against police or politics or Black Lives Matter or something. And I look at it and think, I support their right to protest and I agree with their message. However, what is their message? Like Everyone agrees with their message. Everyone agrees with 90% of the protests. It's just, what's going to change? I look at the protests against racism and I fully support them, but I think... Well, what's going to happen? You're not going to. No, nothing will stop racism. That's been here for a million years. It will be here for another million years. Nothing will stop that. There's no end goal and end result. And I look at this place out protest, and initially, when everything was sort of gaining momentum, I was thinking, okay, it'll be a protest. That'll be good. A few scarves, a few photos, a few songs, and that'll be it. The glazers will go, okay, well done. Go on. We'll get on with our day. But there proved to be an end goal with this, and what an end goal it was. It was stopping the biggest football game in the English calendar. There was a result. Now, the Glazers could sit there and say, oh, who cares, we'll play the game tomorrow. Well, what this, what this protest, I think, results in, it results in a real threat that the fans have now given to sponsors to say, hang on, the fans have the power now to stop the product on the fit. They have the ability to stop the Glazers' product, which is a football match. The fans now know they have the power to say, if we don't want the team to play, we can physically stop you playing. And now what that will do, will stop, will get investors and the sponsors going to the Glazer family and saying, hang on, why am I paying you? You could potentially not have a product on the field. And that is why I think this protest will have an impact because it provides a real threat that these fans, us fans, have a real voice and proper power. And ultimately, maybe not enough power, but I think it's in the early stages, a very, very strong step. I said it on the last podcast, and I'm going to say it again on this podcast. I support, I agree with what you're saying. 
I think people need to protest, whether it's for political concerns, whether it's for football, fan ownership, against the owners of a football club. I support the need to protest because while I agree in principle 90% of the time, Tom, yes, a protest might not result in a change. But in saying that, if you don't challenge it, Nothing will, oh, nothing will all, ever change. All, you know, you have to give right it a chance. Always support of the course. right to protest. And I agree with 90% of protests in the world. I guess, again, I come back to this point. We want the Glazers out, but for the Glazers to go out, someone needs to be willing to buy. The Glazers also need to be willing to sell. The only way that United fans and maybe football fans in general of these bigger clubs in particular are going to get a desired outcome is... Either you, you force the owners to leave or you get legislation supported by your country's government that forces whether ownership will end, end up in court. But if you can get some sort of structure or governance that requires fan representation in the decision making of any major restructures or any impacts that will significantly impact the football club, that is the only way where the fans will win. I don't know if this, if when I say this government, I mean, you know, the, the Boris government, the, the Tories in England. I don't know if they will support that. He came out against the Super League, but we have to remember that would have hurt England's economy long term. Of course, he was going to be against the Super League. The Premier League's product is diluted. That stops tourism into that country. But this, this doesn't benefit Boris Johnson. This is actually putting more money into their government's pockets as well. I don't see how he supports or his part, his, his government party supports the 50 plus one model. So again, I'm, I'm all for the protests. I like what we saw in the last 24 hours. I just don't know if we're going to get the outcome we want, unless the Glazers wake up tomorrow and decide to sell the football club. Yeah, well, look. I think it's a great start. Well, start. it's been going since 2005, but this sort of second or third wave of the protest. But you just mentioned there, Boris Johnson, I sort of want to take it back a little bit now to well, sort of keeping with the Glazers and Manchester United, but there's no hiding from the fact what has happened in the past two or three weeks, especially with the European Super League and football fans in general in terms of their reactions and protests towards their boards and their owners. You look what's happening at Arsenal... Um, obviously the one Chelsea on the day of the European Super League announcement and now the big one at Old Trafford with the Glazer out movement. And I just look at it and think, so many fans, it, it, United football fans around the world, you saw Man United Liverpool fans agreeing with each other, Arsenal and Tottenham fans agreeing with each other, and everyone was very supportive of each other, and I think rightly so. But that was in, in regards to the European Super League. Okay, And now I think everyone has gone back to their own battles. Arsenal have gone to the Cronkies, um, Chelsea, one or two people question Roman Abramovich. Uh, United have gone to the Glazers. Liverpool have gone to FSG. So we're all back to our own battles, which I think is good. But I think a lot of people are now trying to attach themselves to this Glazer out movement, like Liverpool fans and Arsenal fans saying, yeah, we're, we're part of this, we're part of this. We're, I, in my opinion, I don't know if this is tribalism or not, but I'm thinking, I don't want, like, yes, the support is good, but go fight your own battle. This is our battle. This is nothing to do with the Super League. I think Arsenal are still in their in their head. They're still fighting a Super League battle against the Cronkies. Where I think the Super League is over. This is purely about the Glazers. I've seen it being reported in the media with Graham Souness and Jermaine Janus. It is all this about this Super League. No, that is over. This is United's fight for the last 15, 16 years against the Glazers. Mm. And I sit here and look, I do deep down 
want the best for every person in the world. And okay, if that's a football fan, I want the best football experience for them. However, at the heart, I'm a Manchester United fan before I'm a football fan. And deep down, no, I don't want the best for Arsenal. I don't want the best for Liverpool. I hope Arsenal keep the Cronkies. I hope mm. Liverpool aren't happy with their owners. Now, deep down, <laughs> yes, I do hope as people they are happy. And if that means their football um, owners have to change, that has to change. But mm. I'm sure deep down, a Liverpool fan wants the Glazers to stay in power. So this, all these football fans trying to cling and support each other, I think, okay, in essence, is good. But no, I just want your view on it because I'm, I'm sick of these Arsenal fans and Liverpool fans attaching themselves to this movement and saying, oh, we're with you. Because I'm not with Liverpool fans. And tell me if I'm wrong. Am I, am I a bad person for wanting Arsenal to have bad owners, wanting Liverpool to have bad owners? Is that me being Manchester United more than football? Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's not a criticism of you. I think that's just the, na- the, the nature of rivalry and tribalism and feeling a connection to your football club. Um, but on a broader spectrum, and I guess to give you a different perspective, Tom, because we discussed this prior to recording this podcast, we've been singing the praises of Jamie Carragher, who is a Liverpool fan through and through, and all of his sentiments um, as a result of the protests at Old Trafford, he, he spoke so passionately in defence of the Manchester United fans. He challenged Graham Souness, who is a cynical old moron, and he challenged the way that Souness's approach was to the protests. Um, and I think that I like the unity from that perspective. I think that because... But I guess that was almost a different battle in a respect because we had the likes of Souness... Jermaine Jenis, um, I, I don't, I forget the name of the gentleman who was the host of Sky Sports um, last night for the Old Trafford yeah. match. We had them almost trying to label Old Trafford or the, the Old Trafford faithful as thugs, ultimately. Um, and, and Jamie Carragher came out in defence of their actions. Of course, highlighting the, the steward who had the cut against his face. Of course, that's scummy behaviour. The the gentleman who threw the flare at the banner, you know, that, that's scummy behaviour. But all in all, it was in support of the behaviour, um, in support of the protests. You know, I, I think we can't criti- we can't sit here praising the likes of Jamie Carragher, but then criticise the everyday Liverpool fan for supporting the Glazer Out movement. Um, but in saying that, I'm with you. I, I want Liverpool to fail. I'm I'm almost going to be ecstatic at the thought of them not qualifying for the Champions League, given their, um, you know, I guess heroic. Um, if you speak to a Liverpool fan, triumphant return to the summit of the Premier League last season. Um, so no, I'm not too against it. I think that there is a unity here and it's perhaps come from the Super League, given that Liverpool and United in particular were the leaders of this, you know, right wing, if you like, for lack of a better term, breakaway Super League. Yeah, I think deep down, after, after listening to you, I think maybe I'm just a little bit, not confused, but sort of torn between separating the Super League battle and a club ownership battle. I think Liverpool have their own battle. between. They've fought their Super League thing, now they've got the FSG thing. Arsenal had the Kroenke thing, now, or they had the Super League, now they've got the Kroenke. We had the Super League, now we have the Glazers. And uh, maybe a little just a bit torn in between then, but I just want... Yes, for football fans, yes, football fans deserve the best, and football fans need a far more, um, far more powerful voice within the game. But at the heart, I'm still a Manchester United fan before I'm a football fan. And you're not going to see me supporting any Liverpool protests or Arsenal protests. I do hope Manchester United rise to the top and those clubs um, continue to spiral. Make sure um, 
I'm sure that'll be clipped and I'll be a bad person, but I'm not going to hide the fact that I do not like the other clubs. But on that, you just mentioned a really good point on Jamie Carragher. And um, look, you're completely right, which sort of maybe makes me a hypocrite a little bit, but he spoke very well and came out a defence of Gary Neville against the hosts in Sky Sports. And um, he didn't sort of he referenced Hillsborough and Heisel a little bit, but you could see how emotional he was in terms of the way, yes, he's bo- or not his boss, but he's, he's host from Sky Sports and other reporters in the media were talking about or, or trying to represent the Manchester United protesters as thugs and hooligans, where Jamie mm-hmm. Carrick was saying, hang on, that is not the case. That is not the case. There's 10,000 people here. We have three people, three idiots causing a little bit of disruption. That is all. But the media will portray, we'll definitely see a certain newspaper on the back pages tomorrow. We know which one it will be. And it'll be about hooliganism, it'll be about Manchester United bringing the game into disrepute, where, hang on, it's three idiots in a group of 10,000. So you're completely right. And just on that topic, your thoughts on the latest with Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville, and even you can throw Roy Keane in there because all three have had such important and pivotal voices in this last week. I respect the hell out of those three gentlemen. The hell out of them. Carragher and Neville, Neville more so, um... And, you know, and that's not me, you know, trying to be like, yo, I'll support the United guy. But Neville started it with the out, outpour, passionate plea when the Super League news was breaking after the United game against Burnley. Um, and then Carragher followed suit. And I think between those three gentlemen last night, um, and you know what, particular credit to Roy Keane and Gary Neville, um, because we've been highly critical of United fans, uh, as United fans, I should say, for players not speaking out against the Glazers. Since this Super League movement, Gary Neville has had a two-footed lunge against the Glazer family. Um, and I really respect the hell out of Roy Keane because he normally stays quite neutral with these things. Again, I-, I loved his comments around, I can't say anything against the fans in, in this. V- very supportive. And yeah, you know what? Well, the well, best I've, I've part... For you here, just before you continue, I'm just reading it as you said that, um, coincidentally... Yeah. To the United fans, we have to applaud them. They've had enough. That's why they've reacted the way they have. I find it difficult to criticise them. I love it. I love it. And and you know what I loved it in all of that? This was in the midst of Graham Souness talking oh. utter garbage. Well, on that, we've gone from people we've praised in regards to the Liverpool side of things in Jamie Carragher, but also people close to our heart in Gary Neville and Roy Keane. Very good voices, very important voices. We can talk about Jermaine Genus in a little bit, maybe not so much, but Graham Souness. Some of the stuff that came into his mouth, came out of his mouth, sorry, was an embarrassment. And, and look, I, I urge everyone to go and watch the Roy Keane, or sort of the whole segment, and Roy Keane, Gary, Graham Souness was sort of back and forth a little bit. And oh my God, it was one-way traffic by Roy Keane. Like, if you, it was a boxing match, it was a 10-8, potentially even a 10-7. It was just mm. absolute embarrassment by Graham Souness. And where do you want to start? I'll start on the line where he said... Um, Roman Abramovich is a football person like th- th- these Glazers have supported the Glazers have invested in Manchester United where I can sit here and pretty comf- pretty comfortably I will say this both you and me and every listener listening to this podcast has invested more in Manchester United than the Glazers absolutely absolutely and you know what if he came out and said I don't understand why the fans are protesting fair play you're highlighting you don't have the knowledge to understand the angst in the United fan base. That's fine. My issue with Graham Souness is 
He's rewriting history. He's changing a narrative. He's creating a fictional story about something that doesn't exist. Trying to say that the, the protests are driven by a lack of success on the football pitch. Like, mate, the protests were at its peak in 2010 in the midst of United's most successful period as a football club. We just were two years off the Champions League. We had David Beckham wearing a green and gold scarf as we pro- uh, were approaching the semi-final of the Champions League in that season. We were just we were fighting Chelsea at the time for the Premier League title. We then go on to win another two Premier League titles following that season. You don't know what you're talking about. Just keep your mouth shut. It's simple. Well, that's the line. That, that's the line. He came out and said, well, I didn't see them complaining under Ferguson. There's, we've got literal... Well, we all know Manchester United fans. We know the time frame. So, yes, we do know Ferguson was the manager when these protests started and at the height of the protests in 2010. But even for Graham Souness, if he doesn't want to do that research, there's physical photos of Clay's route movements behind Sir Alex Ferguson. And for someone in his position, we've seen the importance of Jamie Carragher's voice and Gary Neville's voice. Graham Souness has the same platform. And that, that platform, it deserves knowledge. Like, well, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's irresponsible of him spouting that type of nonsense, I think. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Like, I'm sorry, I don't care. I really don't care that he played for Liverpool. That that doesn't even come into my thought process. I'm just embarrassed for him. And if I was his employers at Sky Sports, I'd be pulling his head in. Because it's a misrepresentation of football fans at a time where we need, we need the pundits to be in our backs. We, we need them backing the football fans, not being against what we're trying to... You know, what, what the message we're trying to portray, which is this game is for the fans. It's not for American owners who don't understand this game. So it, it was really poor by Graham Souness. And, and I hope that he's reflected on his comments and realised how the, the damage that they could have potentially caused. Yeah, well, I'm sure I haven't seen the full interview, but I'm sure he probably did try and blame Paul Pogba in there a little bit for the lack of security Undoubtedly. at the front door. But just moving on, just to two more things before we wrap up the podcast. This was this came out before the protest, but obviously sort of intertwines a little bit. How reliable these reports are, I'm not quite sure. I don't think they re- came from one of the sort of reliable outlets, but it, it, the news is out there that Adidas have gone to the Glazers or to the ownership and have sort of raised their concerns at the lack of shirt sales this season. Now, this is obviously on the horizon of a new sort of three shirts to come out next year with a new sponsor. So that obviously is it's a big deal for the club and a big deal for Adidas. This is... A new shirt like when we went from Vodafone to AIG or AOM to Chevrolet, whatever the case was. This is a potentially big deal, this um, this shirt coming out. Mm. And just your thoughts, because we all sit here as fans and say, what can we do? How can we sort of um, be involved in this Glazer Out movement, especially for us foreign fans? And the simple argument straight off the bat is stop buying shirts. And we all sit here and say, oh, no, that won't do anything, it won't do anything. But... um. If Adidas are start, starting to raise concerns, well, maybe it is doing something. That is purely a lack of investment in the transfer window. United needed a sign. If they pulled off a Jaden Sancho signing, I guarantee this wouldn't be a discussion point. His shirt would have been sold in the millions. Like the, the, But it, I'm worried now because, you know, Adidas voicing their concerns for me it might actually force the Glazers to make a big-name purchase. And then the shirt sales will ramp right back up. Because, Tom, the reality is, as international football fans that you and I are, 
we are the ones who are buying the football shirts. If you speak to most football fans in Manchester, there's not a great desire to buy the shirt. It, it's not something that's common in English football culture. Um, up and down the country, and you know, and I guess that's just from my experience from speaking to people there, and I'm sure you see this too. You don't see those local Man- Mancunians or even the fans base in London. You don't really see a desire to wear football shirts or football games. It's not part of the culture. It's us international fans who are buying the shirts. And the appeal comes that the reason that these clubs have a global fan base is for superstar signings. So with the lack of investment amidst the pandemic, granted... That's what's caused the shirt sales. I, I, I don't link the two. I just think it's a happy coincidence. Yeah, well, you just mentioned that. I'm looking around. I've sort of got a shelf here. I've got a lot of my United stuff. And I'm just thinking, I can't tell you the last time I bought a United shirt. It's obviously not too long ago. I remember I've sort of got ones in the last couple of seasons maybe. But maybe for the last two or three seasons, I haven't bought one. And I'm just thinking going forward this year with a new shirt and sort of in the midst of all this glazer out stuff, I'm not doing this as a puff of my chest out, look at me, look what I'm doing. It's a drop in the absolutely less than a drop in the ocean. But I'm probably sitting here and I'd say, I'm not going to buy the shirt this year. Whether that has an impact or it doesn't, who knows? But just your thoughts moving forward. And again, I have no criticism that anyone buying a shirt or the full kit or a jacket, I probably will buy something from the mega store eventually. But just your thoughts going forward on, is that something you think you will do? Or again, it's a drop in the ocean. You think, well, what's the point? If I like something, I'm going to buy it. No, I'm with you. Um, I think while the momentum's hot like this, I'm not buying another thing from the United store. Yeah, no, it looks harder. And look, I find myself then thinking, well, I pay for my Optus subscription or I pay for this or that, where that is money, whether directly or indirectly going into a Glazer's pocket. But I think it's just one of those things, okay, there's a shirt, there's a hundred less bucks, okay, that that's the little part that I can play. Um But going on to maybe the next step in this protest, and it'll be interesting, look, a lot more information is going to come out. But the Fulham game, I'm not sure when it is. I think maybe the second last game um, it is. I'm not quite sure. But there's reports that are coming out that, well, obviously Man United have sent out that they're expecting a small number of fans to be um, eligible to go to that game. And I'm just Mm. thinking off the back of this, you're not going to have thousands of tourists flying into Manchester for this game. So it will be a very local sort of select group of the fan base. Do you think there is a possibility where the fans who are eligible and the fans who do get access to these tickets will continue on with this protest and say, we're not going? And when United have the ability to have, I don't know, what is it, 10,000 people inside Old Trafford, if they get zero people in there, that is another huge statement for me. Whether that happens or not, I'm not quite sure. But your thoughts going into that sort of news of the Fulham game? I'd love to see it, but I also respect football fans, you know... I don't know about you. I mean, just watching from overseas, it's been really sad to watch the football games without fans in there. Yeah. I'm not going to criticise a football fan if they need their fix after a long... What's It's been over 12 months now since they've had the ability to watch a football match live. Well, that, was, that was the most people in Old Trafford in over a year. Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, I'm not going to criticise any football fan for buying a shirt, for participating in a crowd. You know, we have our feelings about it. We've taken our stance, but... You know, these guys have livelihoods. It's been a really tough time. We have to remember, people in the UK, we've had it pretty good here, Tom. 
Um, so you know, if I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna criticize. If you want to attend that football match and support your football team, full credit. You know something that we haven't discussed in all of this, and it's interesting that it hasn't been discussed. I wonder what I wonder what the Manchester United fans were think the players, sorry, were thinking, yeah. looking outside their windows at the Lowry Hotel and seeing what was unfolding before their eyes. Well, we've said that over the past week of how important fans are when the Super League news broke and the fans need the voice and we're the most important part of football. Well, I came back in one of those podcasts and said, okay, we are important. The players are a touch more important because the players are the product. We're watching the players. And yes, I, I could only imagine, I'm sure many of them deep down, maybe whether agree or disagree, but they're on the verge of a big game. They would have been buzzing. Then There would have been a little bit of disappointment before the game um, from them. I think so, yeah. Uh, I- Reports suggest that the players actually wanted to go out and chat to the fans, but the stand, the stance by you know United officials were no, you don't go outside under any circumstances. Well, just on just on that, I was going to put a tweet out in a Facebook post. I didn't. I know, got busy at work or something. But just and completely, there were bigger names and more important sort of voices and issues around the club. But I just want to point out. I don't know why this came to to my mind, but on that point, Nemanja Matic, I thought he's always been that player since he arrived at United. I just thought. Yeah, sort of shrugged my shoulders. I really liked him, but I thought, yeah, good player, decent player. That's good to have him. I'd never had two thoughts of him. Like he could walk past me, I'd nod, say, "How are you, mate?" Nothing too much. Where it was one matter, I'm saying, "Hey, can you sign this? Can you sign that?" And Manu Matic was just, "Huh, oh, okay, he's a Man United player. That's it." But over this past, since maybe Solskjaer's come in, he sort of found himself out of favour under Solskjaer. Looked like he was almost public enemy number one. Like there was one or two sort of sort of murmurings that he wasn't happy and he was going against Solskjaer. Mm. He put that to bed publicly. He then put that to bed with his performances on the pitch and worked his way back into the side and was pivotal for about six months. He was very good under Solskjaer. Now he's there maybe a little bit in and out, sort of especially in the big games where McTominay and Fred play. But I look at the incidents off the field now. And he came out to confront the players, not confront the players, but sort of talk with the players at Carrington. Um, he's obviously offered to do this here um, outside the Lowry. And I just I just have, have a look at the way he's been acting. One, his behaviour on the field in terms of the way he bounced back after that initial disappointment under Solskjaer. Yeah. But his leadership off the field and how much of a, I wouldn't say connection with the fans, but how much he's just representing the club well, which is what I want to say. And He's resonating with the fans. Yeah, I and I, I, I don't yeah. know why. Look, there's other players. I think Harry Maguire's doing the same thing. Luke Shaw, Scott McTominay, all these players. But for some reason, I don't know why, maybe his photo popped up or I read a good interview lately or something. But just a little bit of credit to him because he's not someone I think many fans really talk about. But I'm seeing his actions on and off the pitch at the moment. I'm thinking he's someone we should be given a lot of respect to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think there's there's endless praise for a lot of the players. I think the way Bruno Fernandes just mm. two weeks ago. I know the Super League thing feels like it happened six oh, months ago. Uh, it was two weeks ago. You know, um, you know the way Bruno came out, uh, Ender Herrera, who's been seen liking posts around the protests over the yeah. last twenty four hours. Um, I don't. I think there's a, there's a need to highlight that Luke Shaw, at the time of the Super League announcements coming out. So you know, I think a lot of these players have had a say. Um, you know, you, you almost. I know we've criticized Paul Pogba and Mino Raiola for applying pressure and the way they've, you know, I guess approached his contract. But that pressure comes from wanting the club to be successful. If Manchester United are winning premiership titles, do you think Raul is holding the board to ransom? That that pressure is being applied because Pogba wants to be successful. And he'll be successful if Manchester United as a football club has the ambition to be successful. 
So you have to say, with all these factors, there's a common goal here, and it's the players, the football fans, the coach, the managers. They they all want the best for Manchester United. There's only one group at Manchester United who don't want that, Tom, and we know who that is. Well, unfortunately, they're the ones with the keys to the front door, but um, we've shown we can barge down the front door, but it it will be very (laughs) interesting, and by... Look, by the time people listen to this podcast, we might know when the Liverpool match is. At the time of recording, we don't know. I have a feeling they might sort of maybe try and squeeze it in a midweek somewhere. Or I think there is a weekend we don't play. Or I think maybe before. I don't know when they'll fit the game in. Maybe I'd imagine it'd be at the end of the season. So um, it will be very interesting. But um, we will be back after the Roma match to hopefully talk a little bit of football. And that's in it. that's away in Italy. So I'm sure the players will be able to get to the ground. Um, quite safely. However, it is Rome, so it's one of those ones where you just know the Roma fans will be waking up the team hotel at two in the morning. So oh, it will be no quite doubt. disruptive for them as well. But um, we'll be back to discuss that on Friday morning, or on Friday Sydney time, but also next week in, on Monday. Um, I'm sure everyone has seen the YouTube trailer of the film The United Way. The Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney have a they were watching it in the in the Sydney CBD, a private premiere. We've got a private cinema for our supporters club. Um, Larry and I will be there. I'm sure we'll throw the podcast around to some of our members there to have a chat. Um, Larry, I have watched um, that trailer with Eric Cantona saying I was born to play for Manchester United. I would say respectfully maybe 47 times I've watched that trailer. Modest. Goosebumps each time. I'm excited for it, mate. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, please save me a seat next year, um, and and I'll be no I'll be um, pulling out my negotiation skills at the front desk to make sure I get a chip packet instead of my popcorn. Well, it's a free popcorn. Or a bag of crisps so for our you, you for our just UK give, listeners. Just give me your popcorn. I'll I'm gladly take two popcorns. Uh, no worries. And until then, hopefully everyone has a very good week. Um, hopefully, with look while these glazes are out, protests are do make a lot of Man United fans very proud. We do want to get back to talking a little bit of football, so hopefully football returns quite soon and we can talk about finalising our spot in the Europa League final and um, something to very much look forward to. But hopefully you enjoyed this podcast and, yeah, something different, but I think that sort of passionate chat is very important because it is is so important. It is almost more important than the football. Um, and make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app and following us on all your social medias. And... Very enjoyable, Larry. I will chat to you after we beat Roma 7-1 in Rome. Looking forward to it, mate. Cheers.